Get your Bibles open, if you would, to the Old Testament. And as you're getting them open, I, wanna, I forgot to mention this morning when I was showing the pictures that we were able to give. I talked about the projector, but we were able to give a good offering to both of our uh, churches, uh, the ones that have been around for a while. I didn't give one to the third church, but we gave a good offering to uh, the church in Pavas and a good offering in Los Cuadros. And I know that in Pavas they're going to buy some chairs. And in Los Cuadros, they uh, already went and bought some material for some, some roofs for some Sunday school rooms. So our money went well. Amen. It was well spent. And uh, we'll continue to pray. Please pray for Costa Rica and our churches and uh, all around the world. We've got churches and we've got pastors. Amen. You've met some of them, but they need prayer. Amen. And uh, I want to tell you uh, again, thank you for being such a good church. Amen. If you could pat yourself on the back. I have a hard time getting, my, getting it back there for some reason, but you're a good church. You're a pleasure to pastor. And uh, I can tell you that there have been many times over the years that it wasn't always a pleasure to pastor, not specifically just this church, but I don't think I had a balding spot on my head when I began to pastor. I was thinking about that today. I think there's a coincidence there. But the goods way outweigh the bads. Amen. And you guys are a blessing. You're a wonderful church, and I'm proud of all of you, proud of what God is doing in us, and I'm proud of where we're going. Amen? That's a good word. It's not where we've been. It's where we're going. So go to the book of Hosea tonight, if you would. And if you don't know where that is, if you can just find the book of Daniel, then just look right past Daniel. That'll be a little easier to find. Start getting into the minor prophets, and they are what they're called, minor. And so... You can skip over one without noticing it. But I want to talk a little bit out of the book of Hosea tonight, and I want to kind of continue off of what I was talking about this morning, but going a little bit of a different direction. And I was talking about the hope of salvation for your family this morning, and I want to read again the same verse I read this morning for tonight's message to remind you what God's plan is. Amen. How many know the gospel still works? And uh, we're seeing that tonight, amen. We, we never give up, amen. We never give up on anybody. You know, in the military, they would say, no soldier left behind, amen. We understand, as Marianne gave her testimony, people make choices and people walk away from God and people fall, but that doesn't mean we ever stop loving them, amen. It's a joy to see somebody come back, amen, and the doors are always open from the church and they'll never be anybody who can't come back in if they're trying to seek God. Amen. And so we need to understand, you know, sometimes as I get into this, I, I was thinking about this this week as, as I'm going to read John three sixteen in a second, that I, I think I was driving in Costa Rica and this thought came to me and, and it was very strong. I, I was reading something a, a few days ago uh, in the newspaper online about um, the problem with drugs and drug addiction. And actually now, I remember now, I was watching a TV show in Costa Rica, uh, a Dateline or 24, 48 hours or something, about the epidemic of meth and now heroin, which is slowly overtaking again meth because of its easy access, accessibility and cost. And I was noticing in this uh, um, show that many middle class 
wives and husbands with kids and jobs are falling into heroism, heroin, heroin, and becoming addicted. And many of them are uh, people who had gotten hurt and fell in, fallen into a uh, prescription drug addiction. You may know someone like that, where it's just an accident. Someone breaks a back or hurts themselves and they begin to get prescription medicine. And without even planning it, they become addicted to those pills. Well, we know that just if you've been watching just the last couple of years, the drug addiction or the to, to uh, prescription pills has become an epidemic. And it's probably the greatest now because you have all these doctors giving out uh, prescriptions for pain pills. And then we know that recently that was shut down. The government came down hard. Somebody came down hard and they began to make it harder to get those prescriptions. And you couldn't just bounce from doctor to doctor and go to a new doctor and find a new prescription and get more pills. So now that that's happened, how many know the devil and his cockroaches are going to find another door? Well, now that they've shut that down, you've got all these people, millions, countless millions of people who are were, were drug prescription, uh, addicted to drugs on prescription, now looking for a fix that they cannot get from the doctor. And so they're going and they're buying heroin. And they were talking about Chicago in, in, in specific. Somebody else might have seen that show. And that uh, there, there were people driving in to a certain part of, they call it heroin highway. Driving into a certain part of Chicago to get drugs. And every kind of car, every kind of color, every kind of lifestyle you can think of going in there and exchanging money. One guy was filming from his room, from his house across the street for hours. It's even on YouTube. You can go there and see uh, the talk about the drugs being sold just right there in plain sight. Cash for drugs. Cash for drugs. And so it's an epidemic. And it's something that's affecting many, many people. And I began to think, there's nobody... Say nobody. That is exempt from falling. Nobody. It doesn't matter if you have been saved for 50 years. You have to watch your steps. Because the devil does not pick and choose who he attacks. And he's looking for ways and opportunities and doors to come in and to trip people up. I've told you before of the countless people I've ran into on the streets of Costa Rica that were evangelists, that were pastors, that served in their churches. I, I began to cry a little bit and weep as Miriam was giving her, Marianne was giving her testimony, thankful that she's made it back. But at the same time, I began to think of all the people that I remember seeing in Costa Rica come in and get saved. And now today I know that they're not living for the Lord. They've gone back. Spiritual sons, spiritual daughters, people who are not serving God, they're bound again by their drugs. It's a serious thing. Amen. We need to understand that we, we have to be careful with our walk. Amen. And there's many, many people out there today that are lost and have fallen away and have known at one time that John 3.16 verse that God so loved the world. They know it tonight as they do drugs. They know it tonight as they've fallen. They know what the plan of God is, but they have fallen away and they need to be reminded that restoration is the plan of God. How many of you believe that tonight? Restoration is the plan of God. We're easy to judge. We're quick to judge. We're quick to point our fingers. We're quick to look at somebody and say, man, what a loser. What a failure. Man, how they keep doing that. How they fall. How they go into these things. How do they make those mistakes? But how many know that nobody tonight that's bound by drugs or in an adulterous situation or living in bondage to anything chose to do that? 
No one woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think I'll just become a drug addict. This, this normal life is not very fun. I think I'd rather live on the street and eat garbage. Do you think anybody wakes up like that? No. It's a slow fade. It's one bad decision after another bad decision that leads to another bad decision. And before you know it, the devil's got you pinned to the ground and you're in need of God's power and mercy and his plan of restoration. Amen. So John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. I want to read a powerful story in Hosea chapter 1 if you'll go there. And uh, we'll start in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, how many, before we continue, have read the book of Hosea? Let me see your hands. You've ever, maybe you've read the whole thing, you've read parts. This is a crazy story we're about to read, a few verses. And it says in verse 2, When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, and by the way, the name Hosea means salvation. The Lord said to Hosea, Go and take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Now stop right there for a second. We're going to read a few more verses in a second. But I want to, I want to uh, show you a few verses here in the book of Hosea. This is a wonderful type of Christ, first of all, in the Old Testament. And we know that God is telling Hosea to go and marry somebody who is a prostitute. Now there's many like certain things in the Bible, uh, sides and thoughts and stories on the book of Hosea about what really happened. Did God really tell a man of God to go marry a prostitute? There's some single people in here tonight that uh, are looking for a husband or wife, or maybe you're not, but you are at the age that you could get married. And can you imagine you as a believer serving God, trying to stay pure, getting a word from the Lord in your prayers that I want you to go marry a prostitute. That'd be kind of hard to understand, don't you think? And so he hears these words, and so some people say there's no way that God would do that. There's no way that this can be a real story. There's no way God would tell a man to go and marry a prostitute. But the problem with that is, is if we don't believe that that's a true story, that God told the man to go marry somebody who was a prostitute, then we can also not, that we have to omit as well the rest of this plan of salvation that comes after. Right? Now, another thing would be to say, well, this is a parable. It's a story. But you can always know in the Bible that a story is not a parable when names are used. Whenever a name is used, just like the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Many people try to say that hell is not a literal place, that you don't go straight there when you die if you're not in Jesus. And they try to say that's a parable. They try to say the thing about, same thing about Jonah and the whale. And you have to understand that in many parables that Jesus spoke, for example, in the New Testament, he didn't mention names. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like, and he would mention the story without ever mentioning a name. When Jesus mentions a name, when the scripture mentions a name, you can know that it is not a parable, but it is a story of truth. 
So we, need, we, we think, okay, well, maybe, and this is the thing that's most likely, is that God told uh, Hosea to go and marry Gomer, knowing that she would become a prostitute. That not necessarily at the moment he said to go and marry, she already was, but she could have been from a family, because this is a story of idolatry. I'm a little bit hot. This is a story of idolatry. This is a story of of, of people turning away from God. And so he could have said, I need to show my redemption and my restoration through this family. And so it might have been uh, the worst family of the area. Maybe she had sisters that were prostitutes. Maybe she came from a lineage, lineage of prostitution and she was young and was on the line of becoming a prostitute. And God said to Hosea, I want you to go and marry into that family and I want you to uh, bring restoration and salvation to that family. How many know that even when God does something that seems crazy, God has a plan? Now here's the relation. You might think for a second, that's ridiculous. There's no way God would do that. But if you think that way, then you have to think there's no way God would send His perfect Son into this world to die for us, knowing that we would turn our backs on Him. It's the same story. The Old Testament is always looking forward to the New Testament. The New Testament is always revealing the Old Testament. And we see in this story, God showing His plan of restoration through these scriptures. So what does Hosea do? The exact same thing Noah did this morning. What did he do? He did. He obeyed. He did what God said to do. And we'll read a few more verses here and then I'll give you a little bit more insight. Verse 3 says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam. That's another thing that goes along with the parable. We mentioned a city. I might have said it wrong, but it's still a city. Amen? So whenever a city and a name and a place is mentioned, you can know it is actual. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. In verse 7, yet I will have mercy. Sorry, verse 6, and she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, and nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Father, I pray for the next few minutes that you would anoint your word, your Bible, your scriptures. You would anoint our ears to hear tonight. And God, that we would learn tonight the power of the plan of restoration. It is your plan to restore the lost unto you, Father. And Lord, I pray that we would not be in this place pointing fingers or thinking that we're better than anybody else or thinking that we're exempt from falling, God, because it's only by your grace that we're saved. It's only by your mercy that we are here tonight, God. We thank you for that mercy. We ask you to rebuke every spirit of darkness tonight that would be hindering not only this service, but our lives and our church and our vision, Father. We ask you to move by the power of your Holy Spirit tonight in the name of Jesus. And we said, Amen. Amen. So we see here quickly, once again, God revealing His plan of restoration. 
He has Hosea to marry Gomer. And what happens is in the beginning, again, this is the foreknowledge of God. This is not the predestination of God. This is a wonderful story to show that God does not predestine us to things. Okay? He, when he speaks over this situation, he is not claiming or prophesying or declaring that Gomer is going to be a prostitute. He's claiming his knowledge that she will be. Do y'all get that? Foreknowledge, predestination, big difference. And so he knows that, he knows as he builds uh, this world, we're going to rebel. Had me and my father-in-law, were having a great talk and he asked me that question. It wasn't like I was looking, really looking for an answer. He was just asking, you know, what, why? Why would God create this world knowing we were going to sin? And I began to think to myself, I don't know if I have the answer, but here's what I think. If I put myself in God's shoes as God, I might be a little bored. Right? God's God. And you might need something to do. And he might think, hey, I don't want to build robots. I don't want to make people worship me. I want to create people in my image. This is after the demons have already fallen. I want to create them in my image. And when I create them, I want them to choose to love me. Because of who I am and not because of what I've done for them. And so we know God knew. It's not like God made a mistake. God can't make a mistake. He can wish that he wouldn't have done what he did as he did in the book of Genesis. But he doesn't make mistakes. And he says, I'm going to create these people. And I'm going to have a plan of restoration for anybody who walks away from me. I have a great plan for those who will walk the walk. But if those are going to turn, those that are going to turn away from me, I've got a way to bring them back to me. And that's what God does in his word. He's showing us here. This is one of many, many stories in the Bible where we see God's plan of restoration, where he always has a way to bring us back. He knows that Gomer is going to fall. When they first get married, it starts off good, like many people's walk with God. They get married. She is at this moment not yet a prostitute. We know that by the fact of how her name, how they named their first son. And you'll see in the progression of their children that there's a falling away of Gomer from Hosea. There's a falling away of Gomer from the walk with God that she has when they first meet. And so when they get married, they're having a good marriage. Things are going well at the beginning. She has not yet fallen into the fall of of prostitution or lust or falling away from God or in spiritual terms today, idolatry. Turning our backs on God. I don't have to ask you to raise your hand, and you might not admit it anyways. Every single one of us in this place is guilty of idolatry. Every single one of us is guilty at one time or in our lives or another or different times of putting God second, third, or fourth. And anything that you put before God tonight is idolatry. It's not an idol. It's not, a, it's not a little statue that you worship or a thing on the wall. It's putting God second to anything else is idolatry. And God always is calling us back to return. He's calling us back to repent. He's calling us back to a relationship of Him being first. Now I want to pl- throw this out tonight. If you begin to think about marriage, let me see all the married people. Put your hands up. 
All the married couples, okay? At least half of us are married. Think about this if you get married, if you're not married yet. And if you're married tonight, you understand that whether you've been married for a year, five years, 15 years, or 20 years, that when you get married, there's a love, there's an attraction, Amen. There's something that brings you together. There's a common uh, thread of desire for each other to be together. And you know that a marriage, as long as those two people are putting each other first in their lives, their marriage will be good. Are you following me? When does divorce happen? When does separation happen? When do problems in marriages happen? When a husband or a wife begins to divert their love for one another to something else. Think about it. As long as that couple is saying, hey, I love you. And I'm not talking about God yet. I'm in the relationship. I love you more than I love anything else on this earth. And the other person feels the same way and they're in that covenant that we talked about this morning. They're going to have a good marriage. And as long as they guard their marriage from outside sources and outside things, they're going to walk along a line together and they're going to have a happy marriage. And they're going to make it to 40, 50, 60 years of marriage. Amen. But what happens when a marriage begins to deviate? The interests... The common interests of that couple begin to go in two different directions. It's a dangerous thing when a couple does not have common interests. It's a dangerous thing when uh, a man begins to have hobbies and leaves his wife behind. Or a man is working too much and a woman begins to find interest and begins to hang out with other friends. And they begin to just become, watch this, two, pa- two ships just passing in the night. Living under the same roof, but just really becoming roommates. Now you're quiet tonight. Right? They just become roommates. If you are in a relationship of marriage tonight, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if you have become roommates, if you have become people who are two ships passing in the night, you need to stop everything you're doing. You need to get back together. You need to sit down and have some conversation. And you need to find some common interests again. Amen. You need to begin to fall in love with one another again. Because if you don't, you will be those two ships passing the night. And eventually, they will not come back by each other again. And this is exactly what happens in this relationship with Hosea and Gomer. They're starting off right. But Hosea, obviously from the story we know, and this isn't to make a woman look bad or the man look good. In this story, Hosea is God's man. He's serving the Lord. And at one point along this marriage, she begins to find other interests. Could be Hosea's fault. Could be her fault. In marriage, how many know? And I don't know if this is turning into a marriage sermon or not. But how many know tonight in a marriage, it's always bad when one or the other is pointing the finger at the other spouse. You'll never get anywhere when you're pointing at the other person and saying, they're the problem. They're the problem. They're the problem. You're the problem. It's your problem. You're wrong. Do this. You do that. You need to change this. You need to change that. The only way that marriage gets back on track is when two people begin to look inward. And begin to say, where am I failing in my marriage? Where am I making a mistake? Somewhere along the line, Gomer begins to find an interest outside. 
Maybe he was neglecting her. We don't know from the scriptures. I'm giving you scenarios. But something begins to happen. And all of a sudden they have a daughter. Sorry, they have a son. And they name him Jezreel. And God through his knowledge knows that that word means God will scatter. God will scatter. And now we know when he says God will scatter. How many know that with like for instance Noah and his wife. And when they came out of the ark and and started over. He said multiply. Amen. Fill the earth. That's God's plan. And so that was God's plan here. God's plan with the people of Israel was to make them a mighty nation. But what did the people of Israel do? What we always do, turn their backs on God. Somewhere along this way, the Gomer turns her back. And after their first child, they have a second one. And watch this. You see, begin to see in the chapter, second chapter, I'm not going to read any more from the scriptures, but in the second chapter, you begin to see uh, Gomer fall away. She begins to be more interested in the things of the world. She begins to be more interested in her own personal things. The greatest common interest you can have, spouses, is God. Come on, give me an amen so I can keep going. If God is first, you're going to make it. If you begin to get too tied up in things outside of church and outside of God, stop. Stop and roll over and fix the problem. Amen. Don't keep going the road you're going. Amen. Do something. Get desperate. Do something to get back together and get back on the same page because if not, Bad things are going to happen. So she begins to go out, and we find out through the scriptures, she begins to turn her back on God. How many Christians do we see like this today? We see a Christian come in and make a salvation prayer, and they come into covenant with God. We're the bride. He's he's the groom. And we get married to Jesus. And all of a sudden, we're in love with Jesus. Go back to that day you got saved, that time you gave your life to the Lord. And that first few weeks, days, months, maybe even years, you were on fire. All you could talk about was Jesus. All you could talk about was how good he was, how amazing he was, how merciful he was. But then all of a sudden, the world started calling. All of a sudden, you were too busy on a Sunday to come to church. All of a sudden, you were too busy to pray. All of a sudden, you were too busy to spend time with God. And God doesn't move. God doesn't vary. God doesn't change. We walk away. And all of a sudden, we're too busy. And all of a sudden, we miss again, and we miss again, and we don't pray for a week. We haven't read the Bible for a month. And all of a sudden, we find out that we're out in the middle of the ocean, lost. And we don't even know what happened. We wake up. Some of these people wake up injecting heroin into their bodies. They wake up in the bed with somebody else they don't know. They wake up with headaches from being drunk all night. All of a sudden they have fallen in to the trap of the devil. Why? Because they've turned their back on their first love. On their first love. You know what we need to do all the time? Every day, every week, every month. Be working on our first love. Fall in love with God again. A couple who's straying away, a single person who's straying away, it's a lack of falling in love with God again. It's a lack of, 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 of being intimate with God and saying, God, I need you again. So we see in two, she goes away and she has another child. The second child is called Lo Ruhamah, which means not pitied or no mercy. God is now saying, I, I'm not going to have mercy on you now. You have turned away. You are going to do your own thing. How many have learned in your walk with God or if you've ever fallen away that if you walk away, he'll let you walk away. And he will turn you over to whatever it is you want to play with. 
Amen? He'll let you have your fun. Go ahead. You choose to do that, but I'm not going with you. I love you. You understand that this morning, tonight. God loves people all the way to hell. He never stops loving people. Amen? His plan is always restoration. His plan is always come home. Amen? Notice in the story of the prodigal son that the father did not go and look after that son. He stayed where he was. And when that son came back, he ran to him and opened his arms and welcomed him home. But he did not go out and find that son. He said, son, you want to go do what you do? Go ahead. Have your way. Do what you want. I'll be right here. Amen? If you look at a marriage that's falling apart or failing or struggling, they need to come back home. They need to come back to that first common interest. You need to, as couples, and I promise I didn't even plan on this being in any way a marriage thing, but as couples, you need to bring romance back into your marriage. You need to bring, you can't say that, hey, I told you I loved you when I got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. That don't work. Amen. Man, you need to give flowers to your women. Amen. You need to tell them you love them all the time. You need to tell them they look beautiful. Amen. Don't fall in that trap of when they say, how do I look? (laughs) Amen. Be careful. Right? All right. Bring it back home again. Find out what was it that I fell in love with you about. What is it that bring it back home again? Or otherwise you're going to have children born out of wedlock. The third child comes low on me. The third child means not my people. It is most likely that the second and the third child that was born to Gomer were not Hosea's. They were born in sin. Amen? Now just bring this into yourself. How many decisions have we made? How many babies have we made in our decisions that were not God's? So then we see in this story the awesome plan of restoration. I am amazed at God's grace. I don't know about you. See, sometimes, then listen, don't, don't think that, that if you're here tonight and you have, I, there are people who've never drank, never smoked, never uh, didn't have sex till they got married, all these things. Don't look down on that. That's the greatest testimony there is. Don't ever turn away from that. That is the greatest testimony there is. But what an amazing grace of God that He loves us no matter what we do. We can't, as human beings, this is where we have to really ask God to help us. We can't even understand His love and His plan of restoration. God has people tonight who are cursing His name. Sticking their fists up in the air and cursing the name. Marianne said in her testimony, shall I blame Jesus? God gets blamed for everything and thanked for nothing. I saw a great post the other day that said, uh, God has blessed America. It's time that America blesses God. Amen. It's time we start giving back to God from all the grace and all the mercy he has poured out on us. Amen. He is so merciful. And I can't even understand it or fathom it. I can't, I can't put myself in his shoes to see what he does in chapter 3. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what happens. Actually, we are going to read it because it's short. Go to Hosea chapter 3. If you're still there in Hosea, say amen when you get there. Then the Lord, let, let me, wait before, before I read this, let me just remind you of what has happened. She is gone. 
In chapter 2, he has, he has prayed for her. He has hoped that she would come home. But instead of coming home, she has gone worse. She is now a full-blown prostitute. She is selling her body for money. She has no regard for anything. She definitely has no regard for Hosea. There are people right now, tonight, all over the world who have been saved and, 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 and Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And tonight they have zero regard for God. Amen? Zero. There are people who have known, as Hebrews says in chapter 6, and tasted the goodness of God. They have known the grace of God. They've seen the hand of God. They've seen the power of God. They've seen God move. They've seen miracles. God's given them jobs over and over. God's been graceful to them. And tonight, wherever they are in their sin, they stick their fist up at God and curse Him. And God looks back down and says, I love you with an agape love that we as human beings cannot understand. How... A husband or wife tonight, if you would just put yourself in that position. I have known couples, even in ministry. I was very close to one many years ago where an adulterous affair took place. I don't know. I've all, me and my wife have always told each other. We don't know if we could do it. We've always told each other that. Thank God it's never happened. But if you've ever had that conversation as a married couple, I've told my wife and she's told me, I don't think I could stay with you if you did it. How many of you have ever had that discussion or that thought? Oh, I'm the only person here, I guess, huh? Okay, thank you for being human tonight. Uh, you hear that situation take place and you put yourself there and you go, I don't think I could do it. Not only has she committed adultery on him, she has just gone out and blatantly sold her body. You put yourself in that situation tonight as your husband or your wife or even someone you love. Could you redeem them? Now you can say yes because we're in church. You can say yes because it sounds right. And I have seen many times people forgive their spouses. This one couple in particular I'm talking about, be restored and be happy today. But I don't know if I could have done it. Do I have anybody else real here like that? I don't know if I could have done it. How, how, because when it comes to what we're talking about here, now this would relate to us, and I know most, most, most of the kids are coloring anyways. This is something that, it, that turns into something that God gave us as a gift. Amen. I'll just put it at that. In marriage. And it's the most precious gift he ever gave us. And he gave it to us for one man and one woman. Period. Okay? We know that's God's plan. So when something like that happens, you take something that is so precious. And you cheat on it and you twist it and you turn it. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it takes all that precious intimacy that God planned and it distorts it. But in the spiritual we do that to God. Oh, it's quiet in here. Don't worry, it's going to end good. Right? We do that to God. We say, oh, I could never cheat on my wife. I could never cheat on my husband. And you may be right, you may have never done it. But we cheat on God. We've cheated on God. 
We've turned our backs on God. We've at one time, there's something you've got to realize. You know, that, that act that you know what I'm talking about that causes adultery is a horrible thing. But even hurt, even greater in my spirit, in my heart, and in my thinking is when somebody has given their heart to somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? Their affection and their love and their heart to somebody else. And that is what we do as believers when we turn our back on God. Our heart belongs to Jesus. The Bible says He comes in and lives in us and, and sups with us and spends and He loves us with an unfailing love. And when we turn our backs on God and put anything higher than God, we have given our heart to something else. And it breaks God's heart. But He still loves us. And we see in chapter 3, God says these words. The Lord said to me, Hosea is writing his story. Go again. Because this isn't the first time. I forgot to say that. Chapter 2, he's gone a couple times. And she's resisted him. Go again. And love a woman. Watch this. Who is loved by a lover. And is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. Who looked to other gods and loved the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself, church, watch this, for 15 shekels of silver and one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Can you imagine not only forgiving your spouse, not only saying, I forgive you, I'm going to bring you back, I'm going to let you come home, but paying for her to be free. That's okay that it's quiet in here because it's amazing. It's an amazing picture of what Jesus did for us. Amen? You realize that one of the greatest tragedies and pains upon Jesus' body as he was dying on the cross, watch this, is that he knew so many of the people he was buying and paying for redemption to be free would turn their backs on him again. It, how many have ever done something really nice for somebody and it felt really good when they said thank you? You didn't do it for that, but oh, it feels good when you do something nice for somebody and they say thank you. Come on, have you ever given something to somebody and in your flesh you're looking for a response of thank you and it makes you feel good? You're watching their eyes. You're watching their reaction to see if they really like the gift. Have you ever given, to something, given something to somebody 
and they didn't say thank you? Or as you gave it to them, they turned and did something else, showing that they really didn't care that you gave it to them? Have you ever wanted to grab it back? Oh, I know, now, now, now we're all on common ground, aren't we? They turned to talk to somebody else and you just put it back in your pocket. <laughs> you didn't want it anyways, amen. Just think about it, in our flesh, how that feels when you give something and it costs you something to somebody and they really aren't thankful. That's what we did to Jesus. He knew as he died I mean, it'd be one thing if I told you tonight to give your life. And I said, if I, if I just called on any of you and said, hey, would you give your life tonight if 500 people would be saved from it? I don't think there's anybody in here that wouldn't do it. I would. Right? Come on, think about it. Just think about that for a second. If I told you, if you died tonight, you gave your life and you'd be sure that 500 people would go to heaven would you give your life? I think we probably would. But what if I told you, if you gave your life, there's a possibility 500 people might get saved. Would that change it? Yeah. But see, Jesus didn't do that because the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, I'm going to die for you whether you deserve it or not. I'm going to die for you and pay the price, not of 15 shekels of silver, of my life for you, whether you accept it or not. And as the musicians are coming, don't shut me off. I'm going to go one step further. I'm not only going to die for you, whether you accept it or not, whether you let it come in or not, whether you live for me or not, I'm also going to love you when you don't. It's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard to put ourselves in the feet of Jesus? In the place of God? See, Hosea, meaning salvation, is an example of a real man who was a precursor to a real man who came from heaven to give his life and to buy us back out of our prostitution. Because before we knew Jesus, we were all prostitutes. We were all adulterers. We were all wicked. And Jesus said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to die for you whether you accept me or not. That's hard. And then even further still, I'm going to die for you even though I know you're not going to accept me. Go there. Go there in your mind. Even though I know because I'm God, you're going to reject me all the days of your life. You're going to stick your fist up at me all the days of your life. You're going to turn from me every time I try to love you. You're going to turn away. Even though you're going to do that, I'm still going to die for you. That's how much I love you. See, we don't stop enough think about how amazing God's grace is. And when you look at it like that, hopefully it helps us not want to abuse it. Hopefully it helps us want to appreciate it and walk worthy of it. Can you imagine 
buying her back, knowing she might turn away again. Amen. God's grace is so amazing tonight. But his plan is and always, and I've got some other stories, is and always has been restoration. Is and always has been restoration. Is and always will be restoration. Turn away. There's nobody here in this world tonight, around the world, that can't be saved if they'll turn back. If they'll just come home. If they'll just return to what? To their first love. There was a missionary, and I'll close with this, named Jim Elliott. Many of you have heard me talk about him before. How many of you know that name, Jim Elliott? I need to probably show that movie again. There's a movie called Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I'm going to show it, especially since not too many people of you remember that name. He's a missionary. He goes into the Amazons. And he's going to preach the gospel to these indigenous people. And they kill him. They murder him. And there's a whole other story to it. But before he was murdered, loving on these people, he said these words, Most laws condemn the soul and pronounce sentence. Most laws condemn the soul and pronounce sentence. The result of the law of my God is perfect. It condemns but forgives. It restores more than abundantly what it takes away. Think about that. We go back to John 3.16. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Amen? And then we know that that next verse says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How much do you love your Lord tonight? Not as much as he loves you. That's the only thing I'm sure of. But why don't we try every day of our lives to get as close to his love as, as his is for us. To live in competition with God. Saying, God, I want to love you as much as you love me. Knowing we'll never do it. But let's try to get close. Let's try to thank God for how good he's been to us. Instead of saying, God, what have you done for me lately? Why don't we look at what we can do for God? God, how come you haven't blessed me lately? God, how can I bless you? It goes back to that statement earlier. Our nation is always looking, and people in general, are always looking for what somebody else can do for us. Tonight, we have the opportunity to do something for God. Powerful. And it starts, church, with having the love that God has for us, for other people. Next time you judge somebody and understand the context of one, the way I say that, not the way the world is, but in God's kingdom. Next time you look at somebody and say, man, what a failure, what a loser. Why don't you look at them like God looks at them? Pray for them. Pray for their restoration. 
pray for their salvation. Give people a chance to know that they can come home at any time. Amen.